to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Shane Brooks. And he began his real estate investing journey in 2012 and is currently a partner of Wild Oak Capital. And he and his partners with industry-leading experts find opportunities others may miss. And more importantly, they partner with those who share their vision of teamwork, transparency, and integrity. And their passion is really working with investors, helping financial security through multifamily syndication and provide an educational platform to teach others the benefits of real estate investing. Shane, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Eileen. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Shane. So Shane, share with us a little bit more about your background and give us a little bit more insight into who you are, what you do, and how you got started in real estate. Yeah, of course. So I grew up in a small Colorado town. I'm an engineer by trade. I worked at a midstream company in Houston, Texas, originally from Colorado and got into real estate really in about 2012. When I was going to school, I realized pretty early on that I did not want to pay rent or pay on-campus housing. I saw that kind of being a waste of money. So I actually started house hacking with my brother and some of our friends in a townhouse right outside of school. So that was my first start into it. I had originally had the slow mindset of the single family route, maybe buy a couple every year and just kind of slowly build that portfolio, but really escalated that prior to 2020, really right before the pandemic and started with a lot of mini multifamilies, small multifamilies, and then created or partnered with Wild Oak Capital with a couple partners there to do mid-size, the larger size apartment complexes, really in Texas, Oklahoma, and uh, Colorado. How did you, buying this single family real estate, how did you get from the house hacking and then being able to buy a couple afterwards? And then how did you transition into the multifamily space? Yeah. So a lot of it was kind of natural progression. So the market I was originally in was higher priced market. So I really started with creative avenues to get my foot in the door. And so whether that be kind of a larger duplexes that needed a lot of work that people really didn't want to look at because of that, maybe lots of updating or others that were maybe commercial properties that had opportunity to be converted back to multifamily. So really, I started after a few single families, I actually purchased three single family townhouses first, and then realized that the growth was too slow, that needed something to change kind of on the scale side. So I really started looking at small multis in the event that kind of put in some of that sweat equity to take my capital back out and repurpose it. And so that's exactly what I did was I started with a couple fixer uppers that were able to renovate myself and then kind of move that capital to the next project. And then also getting into creative financing strategies. So I didn't have a lot of capital, but obviously wanted to continue that scale. So did a lot of direct mail, driving for dollars, ended up with a seller financing opportunity that really kind of kickstarted some of the further investment. So it really is almost just your standard process of starting small, kind of growing to the midsize, and then getting introduced to local meetups. I think that was key for my kind of pivot from individual small multifamilies into the syndication space. 
was getting around people that were doing bigger and better things than I was. And also just introducing the concepts of syndications to me in general. I think when growing up and in the real estate space, I syndication, I think is unknown word or most people don't understand what that truly means. And that was the case for me. That was the first time I had kind of heard that and understood that just everyday people can kind of pool together and take down larger properties that maybe was once thought that only really wealthy or institutional capital would be able to do. So I actually met one of my partners at that local real estate meetup and kind of really hit it off there. Found out that I complimented some of the skills that he was looking for and vice versa. He had some mentorship. So he was kind of looking for that next partner stage in his career. And so really just perfect timing kind of fit the bill that the two of us could put our heads together to start a bigger real estate group. When you say complementary skills, what were some of the skills that you had and what were some of the skills that he had that made it a good partnership for the two of you? Yeah, no, great question. Because I think that's important to have in a partner. I think there's a lot of overlap that is important to have, but definitely people that can excel in certain areas that maybe you lack or that creates the best overall partnership. So I actually found, like I said, engineer by trade. So numbers is kind of my thing. So underwriting, understanding different opportunities, and then really coordination efforts with relationships. So lending, brokers, things like that is really what I had excelled in. And my partner had a lot of, he was really outgoing. He was also an engineer by trade, but he had kind of the sense of, he had already started a podcast. He had that leadership role, really that visionary style that I was really looking for to kind of help guide what I was needing to do. And then his relationships with investors. So he had a lot of relationships over the years that built a really big investor pool, which would help kind of kickstart us in our capital raising efforts. When you went to that meetup, especially for the first time and being your first time getting into multifamily, but you already had some experience with single family and fix and flips and doing renovations and all that as well. How did that conversation come about? Like, How did you start building up that relationship? And how did you open that door to a potential partnership with him? Yeah. So it really started organically and just telling my story. Kind of similar to what we're doing here on the podcast is just opening up about what I've been up to, what my goals and what I'm looking to do. And then asking questions the same. So if you've just having those conversations about what other people are trying to do in the space and picking up on any niches that may be able to help out with, even if that's just a reference to a lender that maybe helped you close a loan, you never know which doors are going to open and with which people. So when I went started going to those meetups, really everything I'd done prior to that was on my own. And so didn't have mentorship, wasn't working with anyone else. And I realized that it needed to kind of open the doors a little more and just talk to more people, build those relationships because it's a lot less stressful working with other people and having a community that you can kind of bounce ideas off of here and there. So that's what I did. Kind of told my story about creative financing opportunities that I was doing and commercial property conversions into multifamily. And that caught my business partner's attention and really liked kind of the effort and the grit that I was going into and saw, he actually saw at first an opportunity to bring me on almost like a per diem basis for underwriting because he had kind of already started this syndication space and his holdup, the roadblock that they were coming into was they were had a lot of deal flow, but they couldn't get through the deals properly to where they could funnel out deals that weren't didn't make a lot of sense or weren't in our criteria. It wasn't that crystal clear vision. 
So they had a roadblock there that they needed help kind of moving from. So that's really where that started. It started organically. I was hired basically like on a weekly basis to do some underwriting work. We got to really understand each other and build that relationship before jumping into a partnership. What did it take after you started building up the relationship, underwriting deals and starting to build up and solidify that into getting into the actual partnership and getting in your first multifamily deal? Yeah. So there's a couple things. So really, I wanted to prove that I could be an asset and that I had the kind of the skill set that they were really looking for. So I really honed in and underwrote about 20 deals, 20 to 30 deals a week. So just high quantities to kind of get them caught up. And so showing them that there's a production level that I could kind of meet and help maintain was key there as well. And once we found our first property, there was not just the help with the acquisitions piece that I could do, but also bringing in some capital into the mix. So some of those items that I was able to bring to the table help kind of formulate that first deal relationship. Usually that first deal is the the biggest one. We actually take a step back because of that first deal of how important that is. We actually decided to partner up on a few duplexes in Lubbock, Texas to really test that relationship. So we knew that we could start smaller, kind of work out the kinks, what everyone was good at. And at this time, we were bringing one other partner into the mix out of Dallas, Texas. He had been in the same mentorship group as this original partner of mine. And so the three of us wanted to test that relationship, honestly, before we actually formalized anything with Wild Oak and how we would just work together. Because we had never kind of done any real estate together. Obviously, our ideas were similar. Our thoughts processes were similar. Our ethics were. So we had an idea, but you don't know until the rubber hits the road. And so we started with a small three duplex unit portfolio in Lubbock before we kicked off our first syndication. During this time as well, talk about... Because you're also working your W-2 job while you're building up your knowledge space and the multifamily, you're still underwriting. What did it take for you to be able to balance the two? I mean, there's never really a balance to be honest, right? But how were you able to juggle and to manage working your full-time job as well as underwriting so many deals in a week? Yeah. So the biggest thing for me was time blocking and just being intentional with my time. So this was kind of through the pandemic. So there was times where it was a little slower on my W-2 side. And so we were also working from home for a piece. We were, I think, about six or seven months. So the pandemic actually helped kind of kickstart that because it gave a runway to get off the ground really before that full time commitment was coming back. And so it really time blocking when we weren't going into the office, there was an hour in and an hour out that we were saving working from home. And so I was just really intentional with my time and any spare time that I had in the day, I would focus on real estate. So whether that be underwriting or researching podcasts, reading books, anything that I could do to get more involved in the syndication space, I took full advantage of. And so once my W-2 really started picking up again, and we started getting more and more busy on both ends. The key to that was really getting processes and procedures in place. So making sure that we had one scheduled time blocks, but we had also anything that we could streamline. So part of our underwriting system was some initial scrubbing, whether that be by VAs or if it was a cursory review by our brokers, just kind of honing in our skill set. And then also getting all of our platforms in place. So we used a lot of different platforms, 
Syndication Pro for our investors, MailChimp, HubSpot, a bunch of these different features that we could streamline a lot of the things we do, whether that be follow-up or deal response coordination. And so we got a lot of our processes and procedures in place so that it was less time intensive when the W-2 engineering job that I have came back, but we still had the syndication going in full force. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So it it takes time. You're giving up time after your W-2 to work on real estate. What drives you to utilize the extra time that you have not working your regular job? What drives you to actually spend that other time focused on real estate? And what's kind of like the drive behind that? Yeah. So I've always had a passion for real estate. So it's something that I enjoy regardless. But as anyone will see doing their own research, there's more to kind of creating that passive income or secondary income versus your W-2. Just It gives you more flexibility to do what you wanted. We like to travel. We like to be able to go to sports games and kind of enjoy ourselves there. So we didn't have a family at the time, but I knew that down the road that what we do now will allow us to make those decisions, whatever they are in the future, a lot easier. So my wife and I knew that we didn't know exactly what those decisions would be, but we knew that if we kind of sacrifice some of the time now, then whatever that decision is when it comes, it's an easier decision to make. And we're not scrambling. I think some of the other drivers were just seeing where my parents were when they grew up. And so being at a point where one, we always want to help our parents. And then two, we always want to try to do a little better. And I never realized when I was young, the amount of sacrifices that they would make for my brother and I for the different things we wanted to do. And it wasn't until years after I've graduated high school, graduated college that I started understanding really what they did. And that's a big driver to me is for our kids in the future, which we have a two-month-year-old now. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. I wanted to be able to provide for her and for my wife and kind of our family as a whole, whether that be time or monetary. So I want to make sure that I'm at every game, every recital, whatever it ends up being, and then also giving them experiences. I want to be able to take them on trips that maybe we're not used to or weren't expecting. So that was the big driver is that lifestyle that I wanted for our family in the future. As you are starting to build up and you are understanding, underwriting, and honing in on your specific skill set, what are some of the things that you did to really learn the model, learn underwriting? What were some of the levers that you had to really focus in on and and put precedence on the importance of certain things versus the other things? Yes. Yeah. So a lot of self-education knowledge. So I knew that there was a lot that I didn't know. And so the main thing I did was just read as much as possible. So whether that be 
books specifically on underwriting and Rod Khalif's book or some Michael Blanc's information and just getting as familiarized with that space, what to look for, how to actually take any financials you get, no matter what shape that they're in from the brokers or the sellers, breaking down those T12s and really understanding what you're looking at and not just inputting numbers. Because I think the biggest part in underwriting is there's understanding the difference between just the data entry versus actually recognizing what that business model is and building that into what the numbers will actually tell you. I did a couple of things. I wanted to make sure that I was educated from podcasts, from books, going to conferences, and then just practicing. I think one of the best things you can do is practice. And that's really take a model that you have that's out there. There's, there's plenty of models that you can utilize. Michael Blanc's was the one that I started with. Basically rebuilding it. So understanding all the different functions and then looking at deals. So before we even had a deal or we're kind of getting into that space, just starting the examples of if this was a real deal, how would I underwrite it? How would I look at that? And then present that to someone that you can kind of kick ideas around. So that's the one thing I did was I took example projects, whether they be from previous projects or syndications that I was being involved with at the time on the just the passive side and seeing, do I come up with the same thing that they are? And what is the value add that I see in this business model? And for you, Shane, when you were also looking at it back then and versus, you know, the environment today, has anything changed in how you look at your underwriting and the assumptions that you're putting in? Yes. And great question. And I think underwriting as a whole is dynamic kind of understanding or has to be a dynamic model. More of an art than a science. (laughs) It's it's definitely an art and things are always changing. The markets are never going to be the same day in, day out. The deals you see aren't going to be the same. So you really have to be flexible and kind of open-minded of what you're looking at, what you're coming into. Definitely don't be closed off because that'll really hinder maybe some value opportunities that you can see. So a lot of the things we follow pretty diligently is the market itself. So we want to understand the markets that we currently are in that are mainly Tulsa, Oklahoma, Little Rock, Arkansas, and then mainly tertiary markets in Texas. So we follow those markets pretty closely. We want to be able to see what other operators are doing in the area. So pulling CoStar reports on a regular basis to kind of see what activity is going on, making sure that we're in the realm of what lending is actually doing in those areas. If they're not the bigger markets, how do those secondary markets handle some of the local bank debt or if it, the Freddie options, Fannie and Freddie options kind of come more into play. And we've, we've seen that roller coaster, obviously, in the past couple of years here, where your heavy bank debt was very popular. And then you will go into the agency side, which kind of peaked there in 21. And now you're kind of coming back down to bank debt being having more favorable terms. So I think it's been, we've adjusted in multiple ways, whether that be looking at the type of debt that we want on the property, maybe the vintage that we're scaling into, avoid some of the kind of early vintage issues that you normally see in apartment complexes. And then also what our strategy is. Early on, we were more adhered to some of the deeper value adds where we're putting a decent amount of renovations into the property and we've got a lot of material coming in place. And then now we've kind of shifted to some lighter value add opportunities because of all the supply chain issues, because of the different labor items, I would say is the biggest piece right now is labor is very tough to come by, or at least good labor. And so reducing some of our risk by looking at opportunities that maybe don't 
require us to be on a timeline of someone else or some other material, we can focus on some more operational items and get the value at that proponent. So Shane, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? It's been a huge impact. Obviously, it's I talk about it day in, day out. So my wife's probably tired of that already. <laughs> but it's created a lot of opportunity that I never would have imagined. A lot of friendships or people that you meet. Some of our really good friends now are people we've met through the real estate world. And, and that's something that will probably last forever. And so it's not just financial that it's impacted us. Obviously, there's everyone's looking to make money to kind of provide for their families or build their wealth. But I think real estate is a very open community, especially the commercial real estate syndication space. It's a small world. Usually everyone knows everyone at some point, but everyone's willing to help each other. And that's one of the things I really valued about the commercial real estate space is that there is a true kind of opportunity for everyone to help each other. And no matter what stage that they are, they don't have to be kind of the big names that are out there, but everyone can learn from each other. Maybe only are a step ahead of that person, but you can still provide value in that sense. So it's provided a lot of both financial and just relationship benefits in our lives. So it's been great. And if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? I wish I would have jumped into larger opportunities a lot sooner. So I'm grateful for the experience that the single family space and the small multis gave me. But I think there was a lot of scale opportunity to go into that sooner. I think house hacking in a different fashion would have been a great start to kickstart with maybe a four unit property and then almost stack on top of that. But I think the biggest thing for me is going bigger sooner and and really starting your scale at a much younger age. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? I think the biggest thing is being able to kind of buckle down and get things done when you need to. I know there's a lot of hardworking people in different areas here and there, but being able to be time efficient with that, but then getting that grit and kind of never saying no to those opportunities. There's a lot of times where maybe lending isn't going great and you're ripping your hair out, but rather than throwing in the towel is kind of take a step back, figure out what is the pathway to progress and move that direction. So I think grit and kind of having a visionary viewpoint where you want to go kind of helps those successful people get where they need to be. Awesome. And Shane, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing in this space? Yeah, thanks for asking. So our company is Wild Oak Capital. Like I said, we operate in Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Texas. And then uh, our website is wildoakcapital.com. Uh, we also host a podcast as well. One of my business partners, Eric Nelson, hosts the Real Estate Mindset. So we focus more on mindset and education, kind of reaching different investor groups as well, just to kind of teach and learn about the space. So we think mindset's a huge piece of real estate and really life in general. So anywhere on our podcast or our website is the best way to reach us. Shane, thank you so much for all of your time today. I appreciate everything that you shared with us. No, thank you so much. It's been an honor to be on your show, Eileen. It was our honor. Thank you so much, Shane. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, 
Check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.